Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to Polygamy, What Love Is This? I'm your host, Doris Hansen, and we want people to know from the very beginning God's design was not polygamy, but it was monogamy. And we want you to know that we help people if they want to leave polygamy. And you can give us a call uh, if you want, like to discuss your situation and perhaps how we could help you in or out of your situation. We have a toll-free number. It's 877-425-9993. You can also go to our website, shieldandrefuge.org, for information about our ministry. If you would like to contact us regarding any of our shows or to be a guest on our show, you can email us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Also, audio versions of our program are available either from the main, uh, our main webpage or you can go to soundcloud.com slash whatloveisthis to download, uh, and we are also on iTunes podcast. And so there's various ways that you can catch our program. And now I would like to thank our co-host, Earl Erskine. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. Thank you so much. Finishing up this wonderful, Disheartening, disheartening st- stories. Yeah. It's good the information comes out about yeah. it, though, and we yeah, can talk it about it and yeah. and get and the information out bit. there. Yeah. Hopefully, somebody will hear it and say, "Wait, we <laughs> don't want to do this anymore." Yeah. And last week we did finish part three of our review of a book that deals with relevant topics of our show. It speaks to problems that many times are out of control in Mormon polygamy groups. The book is entitled Breaking Their Will, Shedding Light on Religious Child Maltreatment. It's written by Janet Heimlich and published by Prometheus Books. And we ended last week during the discussion of the denial of medical treatment that many religious groups impose on their members. And there is still more to be said on that topic. Children's lives are threatened and even lost because parents or leaders believe that only prayer and anointing will heal the sick person and that's all that God will accept. Some polygamy groups threaten their plural wives with mental institutions if they fail to keep sweet or to be obedient to their husbands. And of course, Sexual abuse in many polygamous families is just a way of life. Our next quote is not from the book, but is from a lady who escaped a polygamy group. Yeah, I never once considered going to the police, said Sarah Heyman, 30, who told of enduring years of sexual abuse at the hands of her father and brothers. Going to the police would have been going against the whole town. Everyone was molesting. The church never said it was all right, but it was treated nonchalantly. And that's what I don't understand because that is so prevalent. They, they don't say it's all right, but they don't do anything about it either. One leader of a very secretive small group told his members who strayed that they would go straight to hell. Well, I heard that all my life. In fact, the LDS Church is guilty of yeah. threatening people, their members with that. One woman from that small group described disturbing instances of physical and sexual abuse. Yeah, the children were all taught that if we were ever to talk about what happened sexually, 
inside the group that we will go straight to hell. That's pretty open, uh, what they expect, you know, the silence. And as I was researching uh, and preparing the information for this show, a relevant news article was posted on the Internet, and we want to quote a portion of it. Yeah, from the Medical Daily. A 21-year-old woman is now pushing to make it illegal in Idaho for parents to reject medical treatment for their children based on their religious beliefs after her parents refused to treat her congenital heart condition and instead opted for faith healing. And that's right, what we're talking about. Uh, This 20-year-old woman was born with a hole in her heart, which was treatable as a child, but not as an adult. And now her life is is very threatening. Her life is threatening and very painful. She left home two years ago and says she would like to see her parents prosecuted for allowing her to end up in this present painful condition that could have been avoided. This is more from the article. Her parents, fundamentalist Mormons, refused to give their young daughter medical care. Instead, they insisted that prayer and natural remedies such as herbs and essential oils would be enough to cure her and drive the evil spirits away. So the evil spirits become brought into this, which has nothing to do with her condition. Now, it's a, it is legal in Idaho for parents to refuse medical treatment for their children because of religious beliefs. And she and her other siblings are pushing to make this a punishable offense. It is so easy and normal for counterfeit Christian groups to invoke God or Bible passages to justify their abuse or their neglect. And it's so easy for them to threaten hell and damnation and son of perdition and God's wrath because that's the only way they know how to control their members and keep themselves in power. Yet students of the Bible know that God's way is always the way of grace and patience and love and restoration and forgiveness. Using God's name as a whip to keep kids in line or to justify abuse is a serious offense against God. And even as the nations of the world mete out justice against offenses, well, so does God. God's justice cannot merely look the other way when little children and women in religions are treated so terribly, using His name as the reason for denying them life's basic privileges like medical attention that is both safe and life-saving. Even in ancient Old Testament times, God gave permission uh, or provision and instruction for freedom for them to get medical care and treatment. And Luke, the man who wrote the third gospel (laughs) in the New Testament, he was a doctor who ministered in his medical profession. Now surely, if God had not wanted professional medical treatment for the people, Jesus would have taken opportunity to say so to Luke the doctor, but he didn't. On pages 244 and 45 of the book, the author mentions the fact that according to history, the early Christians made use of professional medicine and medical help just like the rest of the world did. They did not reject prayer or proper medical treatment and resorting only to prayers, rituals, and starvation diets, but they didn't reject prayer either, 
they did both. <laughs> yeah. And we quote from her book. Yeah, for example, the New Testament encourages the sick to both pray and use a little wine for their stomachs. In the same way, most, Christians inter most Christian interpreters see no conflict with praying for healing while calling the doctor or going to a pharmacist. And there's, there, that's the way to do it, yeah. you know, get the medical treatment that's available. So the New Testament actually advises medical treatment when needed. Now, this book here that we've been reviewing is pretty comprehensive about dealing with all kinds of child abuse and neglect in God's name. The final topic that we want to discuss that she covers is in the section entitled Sorting Out the Demons of Child Ritual Abuse. Mm. We have rarely dealt with this topic of child ritual abuse in polygamy groups or even in the Mormon religion, but it does happen. Yeah. I have personally talked with victims of such abuse. On page 264, she mentions the fact that children have long been the victims of religious ritual abuse, we quote. Hmm. Children have long been made the victims of religious ritual abuse. Children have been brutally murdered at the hands of fundamentalist Mormons practicing blood atonement. Even today, some Shiite Muslims slice the foreheads of boys, some as young as infants, in a ritualistic bloodletting. Ugh. Again, going back all to this religious stuff, that, that they think that God is pleased with this yeah. horrible stuff. It's not possible to even guess how many children have been and are subjected to ritual abuse in America. But there's enough evidence to indicate that child ritual abuse is quite common and is not confined to any one particular faith. Of course, mental illness can be one reason for abuse, but just like all religious child maltreatment, ritual abuse can feed an adult's desire to overpower and dominate a child or a group of people. The ritual abuse can be for a variety of reasons, to quiet their God or to propitiate sin or sins. Maybe it's to ask for something or to seek a blessing from the God they think that they're serving. Some people ritually abuse because they think their God requires it or they just want to do their sadistic thing. Although there's been no high-profile court cases involving polygamy groups who ritually abuse, I have personally spoken with people from different polygamy groups who have suffered or know someone who has endured extended religious ritual abuse. Several years ago, I met a woman who had been ritually abused all through her childhood. She was a protected witness in a court case. In fact, she was guarded and escorted by police through the entire court experience. She testified against her abusers. She had been raised in a small town in southern Utah in an LDS home. Her siblings were also ritually abused. Needless to say, she had some deep emotional scarring from this. In her book, the author writes a story of a woman who said that the abusers would add religious messages <laughs> when they abused the children. Oh, in quote. the name of God. She adds that the priests use religious messages in abusing, abusing the children. For example, she says they burned the soles of the victim's feet to purify your soul. She also remembers her abusers telling the children, if you pray with a pure heart, this won't hurt. Sexual abuse is about power and control, and they certainly had power and control over us. That's Unbelievable. So 
Beginning on page 269, she gives several examples of ritual abuse of people who have come forward and told their stories. Obviously, there are too many to describe here. These abuses include a variety of religions, some mainstream, others not so well known. Religious exorcisms have taken place on a very wide scale in the past and continue to be practiced all over the country. Another quote. Yeah, from page 275. We should also be concerned that children with special needs or behavioral or psychological problems are not getting help because they are mistakenly viewed as being possessed by demons. In these cases, children may be denied access to specialists and instead undergo exorcisms. Isn't that awful? Yeah. It's just awful. It's amazing that uh, as we were preparing for this series, Several news stories came out about our precise topic. Yeah. Several of them came out. Just a few days ago, a mother was attempting to perform an exorcism on her 11-year-old daughter. A witness saw the event on a beach in California, and he stopped to rescue the girl. The mom was brutally attacking her daughter, nearly killing her. She had stripped her naked and threw hands full of sand in her mouth and in her eyes, and she was biting and choking her and hitting her over the head with a piece of driftwood. Now, if the passerby had not seen and stopped the assault, the mother's violent attacks would have killed her daughter. All of this as an exorcism. Mm. One FBI agent who has investigated many child ritual abuse cases said that far more crimes and child abuse have been committed in the name of God or Jesus than has ever been committed in the name of Satan. Now, many people may not like to hear that statement, but very few can argue with it. And that's true with this entire topic that we've been covering for these past four shows. So much evil done in the name of God. And yet another sexual abuse story came out just yeah. last week where a bishop in the LDS church was arrested for sexually abusing two underage boys. Now, he reportedly drugged them and then molested and abused them. He demanded nude photos of one of the boys when he was in his teens. And according to the police, he also drugged and then sexually abused one of them in a hotel room. Uh, like I say, these came out just while we were doing yeah. this. This is recent. Yeah. Uh, and they come out all the time. It's, uh, things like this are in the news frequently. Yeah. Religious leaders who abuse commit an even more heinous crime because they represent the name of Christ. The abuse, the maltreatment, the sexual molestations and rapes, underage marriages, child brides, and many authoritarian patriarchal religions are guilty of child maltreatment in the name of the religion. But it is not the true God whose name the abusers invoke. In chapter 22, she points out several different areas that we as a society can help stop these abuses. Here are a couple of her suggestions. Yeah, two of them. Clergy, clergy, I'm sorry, should be required to report child abuse and neglect, and the statute of limitations on child sexual abuse cases should be extended or completely eliminated. I, I fully agree Make with it, these, and I'm surprised that they haven't done this already with yeah. as much as been in the news Especially recently. Especially young children are, are abused, and they really don't, either recognize it or don't come to grips with it until much later in life yeah. when they become young adults yeah. and it comes out that they've been abused. So many years can pass mm -hmm. before they either 
decide, okay, I need to deal with this, or mm -hmm. so, uh, and then the know. and then the statute of limitations uh, maybe over. Yeah, yeah. maybe done. So they should do these things. She addresses the responsibilities and duties of parents and what they should be doing to deal with these things in their own families. Her suggestion includes several points about asking certain questions. Asking questions of your faith or your belief system is extremely important. Check out your religion. God never expects blind faith. Does your religion teach that you are the only true church, that no other religion is right except your own? Does your religious community hold in contempt or fear those who are not of your own faith? Now, these might be hard questions yeah. for people to, talk, to ask themselves, but being honest with yourself is important. Can you voice complaints or express feelings of doubt about your religion without fear of reprisal or shaming? And are you supposed to raise your children using extremely strict guidelines of discipline that is held by your particular religious community? couple more. How would you be treated by your religious peers or leaders if you refuse to follow lines of discipline and physical punishment strategies your religion may require? And notice how children in your church setting are treated. Are they treated with respect or are they disciplined by others or made to feel guilt or shame? Are they publicly shamed? Good questions. And what would you do if your child um, or a child that you know about was found out to have been abused. Would you go to your faith leader or bishop, or would you go to the mm. authorities? Good question. How much authority and power does your religious leader hold? Do your leaders believe they have some kind of hotline to God, that God would tell them to tell you how to live your lives and how to treat and discipline your children? Does your religious leader scare <clears throat> people into the <clears throat> faith by various means, and that includes instilling guilt, fear, shame, or contempt if you dare to question any part of any teaching. And these are very, very good questions. A lot of them are negative, and you know what? Sure. It goes back to the, what we talked about earlier. Sometimes parents don't want to know the truth. It's too hard to face uh, what would they do if they found out that yeah. they were in a, a religion that didn't give the freedoms that God wants us to have? And they're, they're so good questions. We urge our viewers to ask yourselves these questions and, and, and study and, and honestly answer them. And again, as I was preparing this information, I came across a webpage entitled, 10 Signs of a Cultic Church. <laughs> now, some of the information fits so perfectly into this discussion that we thought we'd share some of it here. And it began with this comment. A few weeks back, I was troubled to hear about a Word of Faith congregation in Spindale, North Carolina, that was guilty of abusing its members. Reports included young children being punched by the leadership while being called Satanists. Why? <laughs> Why is that allowed by the adults in the church? Never ever believe that authentic Christianity believes nor result, resorts to this kind of behavior. Counterfeit Christians may do these things. Remember that just because they claim to be Christian does not indicate they embrace or practice true Christianity. We have another quote from that webpage. Churches like these are identified as cultic churches as contrasted with authentic churches. 
Authentic churches are the body of Christ. They are the assemblies of baptized believers who fully adopt biblical principles and have the freedom to grow and develop in their relationship with Christ. And there's so much difference yes. in, in the, the authentic churches and how they deal with people and the freedoms of, that individuals have. Uh, authentic Christian churches reach out with the love of Jesus to tell the truth to unbelieving culture. And, and, but we do it with love and compassion. And we don't resort to name calling and anger and threats, shaming, guilt trips and violence. Cultic churches are aberrations of the authentic Christian church. They generally lead through power plays and they exert tight control over their membership. Their doctrine may be close to biblical. In fact, most of them are. Close, close, but upon further investigation, they are heretical. They do not represent or teach authentic Christian beliefs. The article gives some points to look for to be able to spot a counterfeit Christian church, and we want to mention the points that are relevant to our discussion. Okay, the first one is biblical orthodoxy is held in low esteem. Biblical doctrine and theology are dismissed in favor of elevated levels of emotionalism. Loss of biblical integrity develops into some downright bizarre practices. And uh, we've seen <laughs> and heard of some of those things for sure. Personal interpretations are held to an equal or higher view than biblical truth. And this is true especially in the Mormon culture around us. Many cult leaders can twist uh, most Christians into knots by pulling various quotes from the Bible, but cult, uh, cultural leaders will make biblical connections that actually don't exist. The leader's interpretation is given an equal, if not higher, standing than clear biblical precepts. In authentic churches, biblical truth is given greater weight than personal opinion. <laughs> And number three, to show superiority, the cultic leader maintains a domineering attitude to show his or her supposed, supposed intellectual or spiritual superiority. In authentic churches, all members are encouraged to grow spiritually, emotionally, and intellectually. And another one is that members are not allowed to ask questions of the leadership. In cultic churches, questions are condemned. The leader may show that to question him or her is like questioning God. In authentic churches, questions are the means of growth. The leader and leadership are transparent. But you know, when Jesus was here, they questioned him. Yeah. The disciples asked him question after question after question, and he never uh, rebuked them for doing that. And he was God, by the way. <laughs> he was. Uh, Moses questioned God a lot, if you want to read the story of Moses. People who don't have anything to hide won't be hiding anything. And just as Jesus reminded his critics, he did nothing nor taught nothing in secret. Hmm. The next one. <laughs> the next one. Traditions are equated to commandments. While all churches have favored traditions, cultic churches elevate their traditions to the level of the Ten Commandments. Jesus combated the Pharisees over this very issue. In contrast, authentic churches, while they have traditions they love, will place biblical commands over personal desires. And that's very important to be in a healthy church, to put biblical yeah. concepts above any tradition or any personal desire of anybody. And the next one is that members are required to follow harsh legalistic rules. Some churches determine where their members can live and how a husband and wife can be intimate. I know some polygamy groups are guilty of that, yeah. but authentic churches won't do that. 
Authentic Bible-based churches will promote members to live a holy lifestyle originating from biblical ethics, but authentic Christian leaders realize that people are free to make their own decisions and they are not dictatorial to any of their members. And finally... Yeah, the last two. Outsiders are viewed with skepticism. Evangelism is avoided. Cultic churches are committed to power and control. And exiting the church is difficult and may be met with threats. Yeah. So number seven would fit very nicely into the polygamy groups, and number eight would fit both the LDS yes, church and the polygamy sure groups. Uh, exiting the church is difficult, yeah. very difficult, whether it's the polygamy groups or yeah. the, or the um, LDS church. It can be, I've, I've known some horrendous stories. Well, you interview people <laughs> with some pretty hard stories. Yeah. And, and she mentions also in her book, as we close this series, um, the churches that Jesus addressed in Revelation chapter two and three. Some of those churches Jesus commended. They were good churches. But some of those churches were not good. Philadelphia, he commends as being a good church. The church at Laodicea was a bad church. And so Jesus himself recognizes that there are good and bad churches. Some religions that call themselves churches are actually cults. And we urge people, our viewers, to be watchful, be careful. And as, as a level of God's protection, he has warned religious leaders that they better be about doing the right thing for their people because God will judge every single thing they did or said in his name. And teachers face a more strict judgment. And leaders and parents, protect your children. Protect the females. Don't take advantage of the youngster or the teens. Encourage the young boys and don't hurt or abuse anyone in God's name or in anybody's name yeah. because God sees it all. And you can fool the people, but you cannot fool God. So that is the closing of the fourth uh, segment of a review of her book. It's and been fascinating. It, it's so sad to see some of the things and hear some of the things. But, you know, just today. And well documented, actually, too. Yeah, well documented. Yesterday um, and then today, the new report came out about the Vatican, where the third, the, the cardinal, the third from the top, third from the Pope, oh. had been found with, with child pornography. And now oh, he's, no. he's uh, suspe suspected of being a pedophile and harming many, many children in the past. Yeah, the Catholic so Church has had some... They've had a lot of that. A lot of that, yeah. And it's come out, which is a good thing. Right. Um, and if it all would come out, it, it's not good for the religion, but that's tough. But maybe you think that the religion is uh, promoting it, or at least uh, whatever concepts are in there are allowing that to, to flourish mm -hmm. to people to, to have those kinds of feelings and drawing those kinds of people to en it. Enable them, enabling yeah. them to, to do yeah. it and to get by with it. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah. But I know there's a lot of sexual abuse in polygamy groups. There's very few people who leave a polygamy group that hasn't been abused some way or other. Thanks, Earl. Yeah, thanks so much thanks, for your help. Um, Jesus said in John 14 that no one comes to the Father except through him. In Acts chapter 4, we are taught that there is no other name under heaven given by God by which we can be or must be saved. People don't like to hear that, but that's what Jesus said. And Jesus is the embodiment of truth. If we don't believe him, we have no saving faith. And without saving faith, 
we face a dreadful eternity. Jesus came to save the world, but most of the world rejects him and refused to be saved God's way. But we urge those in polygamy and those who have fled polygamy to turn to the truth. Religious abuse abounds in polygamy groups, as we've been talking about. But Jesus has presented himself as kind and gentle and patient. He is not at all like what you've been taught he is like. And Jesus alone is the Savior and He wants to save you. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.